Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Appreciate having you. Of course. Um, if you would give us some uh, background on you, how you got to where you are, and why you're an interior designer. Okay. Should I introduce? Sure. Okay. My name is Reed Clements, and I went to Georgia Southern University, got a Bachelor of Science in Interior Design. I've been designing for four and a half years, a little over four and a half years now. Um, did not initially plan to go into design. I changed my major in college, but I always, this was always my path. Like looking back now, I was always designing in some way or another. Um, I always wanted to go into commercial in college. I decided that pretty quickly. Um, I do some residential now, but in college, I, commercial was the way to go for me. Um, and then I got into multifamily a couple months after I graduated um, and I have my own company and then I contract with Crosby Design Group and that's where I get most of my commercial jobs from. Okay. Do you work with other uh, firms outside of uh, Crosby? Any work I do outside of Crosby, I just do on my own. I haven't worked with any other firms yet. Okay. What got you into the multifamily part? Um, I did not have a job and I was just looking for anything really. Mm -hmm. um, and found Crosby through like a Google search mm -hmm. and interviewed. Didn't really know anything about multifamily. Um, and they offered me a job or they, she actually offered me, Jennifer Crosby offered me to work for a week and just see what it was like before I committed um, to joining the team. And I loved the girls and I loved the work. And so I jumped right in. Awesome. So what happens when you're trying to get work. Are you helping Crosby trying to uh, get awarded the jobs or do you get involved after they've been awarded? Um, Jennifer Crosby does all of the like business and all of that. So she goes out and she gets all the jobs. She has a lot of relationships with all of the developers and everything. Um, and so she gets the jobs and then we kind of have the liberty to say yes or no, if we're busy or not, or if we want to take on the project or if we have usually months before we're like free, we'll let her know if we have um, some availability coming up and we're ready mm. to take on a new project. Um, most of the designers there are full-time working on Crosby projects. Um, so it does feel like we are exclusive to that company, um, which is nice. You have a lot of project and job security with that. So are the majority of the people working there also as contractors? Yeah, we're all contract designers. Okay. That's how she has the whole um, company set up. Okay, cool. All right. Um, when you're given a project, how do you come up with the scheme that you're going to be, like, basing your design off of? So a lot of times um, the client has something in mind or depending on where the project's gonna be, a lot of it has to do with the location as well as the demographic. Um, so sometimes we'll have a project that has a very explicit concept for it. So whether it's um, like near an old train depot and so it's almost like not train themed, but mm. stuff like that. Industrial thing. Industrial, yeah. yeah. Or we've had projects um, in the studio where it's in like a historic area. So we're trying to include those elements in it. So a lot of times it's the location or we know the demographic is gonna be 55 and up or it's gonna be student housing or it's gonna be 
you know, fresh out of college. So that kind of can drive the design in that way. Okay. So do you work with the architecture firm more or with the owner developer more? So fortunately, for the most part on our projects, we are contracted through the owner, but then they give us the liberty to work directly with the architect. Mm. Um, we've had it actually the opposite on a couple of projects where we were contracted by the architect and they preferred that we go through them before talking to the developer. Um, but usually the developer is our client and they cut themselves out as the middleman and we can just coordinate directly with the architect, which is really helpful. Okay. Does the architect determine like how the spaces are split up and then you design based off of that? Or is it a collaboration where you decide on the um, different amenities that are going to be offered in the building and how those spaces are broke up? Um, we've done it both ways before. We've done it where we've gotten um, plans from an architect and they've already gone through the schematic phase. And so they've kind of laid everything out where it needs to be. Um, and we'll go in there and kind of tweak it. Or we've gotten totally fresh, clean plans on the exterior shell from the architect and we kind of had the liberty to go through and space plan it ourselves. Um, the clients always, most of our clients are very hands-on. So they, a lot of the time have their own opinion on where they want things to go, which is fine. We'll kind of work with them and usually we'll come up with a plan and have, um, you know, concept imagery, give it to them. They give us notes, feedback, whatever. And then we come back, revise it. Um, usually it should only be, you know, one kind of revision round. Sometimes we're going back and editing plans months later, mm -hmm. which can be frustrating. Um, but for the most part, we start out with a clean shell. Okay. So, for example, the project we worked on together, WebGen, um, the architect didn't really have much to do with that space. Were you given kind of a blank slate to work with, and then you just coordinated with TPA on how to use that space? Yeah, basically. Um, obviously, there's constraints with, like, where the restrooms need to go, and then that can drive other things. Um, trying to keep, like, the club room and kitchen and everything closer to the pool and the leasing at the main entry. Um, those are always kind of the anchors and then we go from there. But yeah, the architect, um, which was Niles Bolton on that one, yeah. I believe. Um, yeah, they just kind of give us any kind of mechanical or structural constraints and then everything else we did the layout on that. So they basically give you code requirements, anything that's like fire marshal, building code, MEPs, stuff yeah. like that, things that you have to work around and then you just tailor it to fit within that. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of times it comes after we've already done a lot of the plans, and then they'll say, oh, we need to put, we need to drop the ceiling here because we actually have some HVAC running through or whatever. So it would be better if we could get in earlier mm -hmm. and coordinate all of that stuff from the get-go so that it's not the 11th hour and we're having to drop the ceilings to seven and a half feet or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that feeling, trying to coordinate above ceiling stuff with the structure can mm -hmm. become difficult, but we make it, uh, we put an emphasis on coordinating that way up front as yeah. far as we are concerned. So we have a BIM department um, that gets involved and uses Revit to help design the larger MEP systems around any steel structure spaces or the trusses. 
and we try and make sure that we work within the boundaries of the design that's set, like ceiling heights and stuff like that, to our best ability. Sometimes it's just not possible. And so that's when you get those calls. Yeah. We got a lower <laughs> ceiling. Yeah. So we did a lot of work on the amenity space there and we're able to um, think outside the box. For example, that hallway that goes from the living spaces through the leasing and towards the elevator, mm -hmm. that was supposed to have a large return duct above the ceiling, but it wouldn't fit within the truss cavity and there was some steel to work around. So the, the first initial thought was to lower the ceiling so that we could get that return duct. Well, because it was such a large open space, mm -hmm. we thought, why don't we just put a through wall diffuser and it'll just return air through those louvers into the mechanical rooms. And we did away with the duct altogether and we were able to keep the ceiling height the way it was. Yeah. Um, do you have to deal with a lot of branding um, considerations when you're designing the uh, spaces, colors, stuff like that? With multifamily, not so much. A lot of times they will drive their branding based on our design. So usually the branding doesn't happen until we're well into the construction phase sometimes. Um, and so usually we'll send them our design development package and they'll kind of go off of that. Sometimes we know off the jump what the general branding is going to be. So we had a project recently. Um, it was originally called the Wren and then they changed it to the Finch. So kind of like bird elements mm -hmm. within. So whether that was in the furniture or wall covering, whatever finishes. So sometimes we know that. Um, but a lot of times the branding kind of goes off of our design, which is nice. And then they will kind of coordinate with us on signage and colors and stuff. Um, but not so much like I know with corporate, a lot of times they have to, if you know, it's Coca-Cola, you have to use that specific red throughout mm -hmm. the design or whatever it is. Um, usually we don't have to go on those constraints. It kind of goes from us and then to the branding. Okay. That definitely makes things easier. Yes. Okay. When you're putting together a design, how often do you um, come up with the furniture, the FF&E package as well? So when I first started, I wasn't doing any furniture at all. Um, we have in-house procurement at Crosby, but um, we had a, we have a designer who does all the furniture selections. But then, and that was mostly because none of the designers wanted to do the furniture. Um, and then after a couple of years, I was like, okay, I want to get into the furniture. I want to be able to go from very beginning to very end and say this was all my design. Because even when we're just, even at Schematic, we're thinking about the furniture. We have to do the furniture layout. That gets signed off at the beginning before anything's mm -hmm. even built. Because a lot of times everything is built off of what's actually going to exist. Fire Marshal has that, a lot of say in yes, how things are laid too. out too. Um, and so I wanted to be a part of it from the beginning. And so probably two or three years ago I started doing furniture selections. And I started out just doing the model unit to kind of dip my toes in the water and see, learn about it. There's so mm -hmm. many different vendors. Um, and so now I'm doing projects from A to Z schematic to furniture procurement. Um, and I like it 
a lot better because it does it used to be once you got through CA you would kind of take your hands off and pass the project off to our furniture designer um, and so now it's a lot more cohesive and I know what needs to be selected because sometimes there's a disconnect this other designer hasn't been part of the process the whole time and then she's coming in and selecting furniture but she doesn't know the project the ins and outs the way that I would if I designed it mm -hmm. getting that overall vision yes incorporated into the entire design instead of just piecemealing it together yeah, exactly makes sense I thought that was honestly how they always worked I thought that the design of <clears throat> all the materials in the space were coordinated with the uh, all the FF&E from the beginning so that it all works together. Right. Yeah, we don't usually select the furniture. We have things in mind, and a lot of times in the design um, selection process, I'll pick out some furniture and include that in the DD package um, just to show the client like kind of where we're headed and to give a little bit more texture rather than just like finishes, hard finishes. Um, and I'll always say to them, you know, this isn't what's going to be selected. If you like it, great, we'll pick it out. But if not, we can pick something else out. Um, and we have things in mind. But even when we're not selecting the furniture and we're passing it off, we're still coordinating that. But it's just so much better for me, I think, to be able to do it myself. Okay. I know there's something that I've been asked, I don't know how many times, by contractors, um, subs, and I've asked myself during the process of construction when we're putting some of the finishes in some of the guys will say what are they thinking <laughs> and i know that was something i thought on the first project i did there was a lot of crazy colors um, but once the entire design all the ff and e everything is finalized you get the whole picture and you can see everything together and it kind of it does work together so I always just tell the guys, just wait till it's done before you reserve any judgment. Yes. And uh, once it's done, then you can give your opinion on whether or not they know what they're doing. <laughs> uh, but that is a, it, it's, it's odd going through the process. Some of the design elements, when you put them in and you're only looking at them or a couple of other things, it's like, how is this going to work? Yeah. So how do y'all see the whole picture how do y'all visualize it how do you put all of these pieces together do you have computer software that helps you do that or is it just all kind of in your head yeah so both and before i even jump into that for you guys y'all aren't part of the design process until you start building things so it's not like you sat in on our design presentation and mm -hmm. got to see all the finishes in a presentation together which i think could be really helpful for you to better understand how it needs to be built to see what our vision is. Um, we do use software, we work in Revit, so we that's how we do our drawing. So we can also, we model things in 3D so we can see three-dimensional views of the space. Um, but my brain also just works that way. I visualize a space before I even draw it, before as I'm selecting things, I can picture it all. And so it's really interesting when I walk through the space as it's being built after it's built, because it's brand new, but I also feel like I've been there before because I created it all in my head and then on paper and then it got built. Mm -hmm. The program or Revit, do you have the ability to bring in actual design elements like say a wallpaper? 
a wallpaper that has a design on it, whether it be flowers or it's something like this right here where it's got our logo incorporated into it. Is that something that you can bring into the model to be able to see all those aspects of the design? Yeah, so you can render in Revit. Um, it takes a lot of time. We don't do it in-house. Um, usually we outsource it because it's much cheaper to outsource it um, to another company. But when I was in school, we would do it, and I mean, it would take hours. It was always really fun to do because then you can see it all come together. Um, but we can put in, at the very minimum, we'll put in all of the correct hatch patterns so we know what, you know, for a wall on the elevation, you can see that exact tile size or whatever it is. Same with the floor. Um, it helps us understand it better. It helps you guys in the field to build it um, and to know that a two by eight tile is going on this wall. We can see it and we can see it and we can lay it out exactly how it's mm -hmm. supposed to be. Um, but a lot of times on our presentations, I will do rendered elevations, and you can do it in Photoshop or PowerPoint. Um, I do it in PowerPoint because it's just quicker, and we use PowerPoint for our presentations. Um, but that way I can see what it's all gonna look like, the client can see, because they're not always, not everyone is like designers where we can visualize it in our Most head. Most people aren't. Most people aren't. Um, which I forget that sometimes. Mm. And I'm like, oh, you can't just see it. Mm. You know, clients, they can be apprehensive a lot about our design. And um, sometimes we have to say, you have to trust me. And other times you have to just go a different direction because they're never gonna see what you see in your head. Um, so that can be hard, but yeah, there's a lot of different tools that we can do. And that is available. Like I could go in Revit and put in all the finishes and render it and see mm. it. it just takes too much time. Um, but we can have that outsourced. And then a lot of times the client will get the renderings done um, for branding purposes. Mm -hmm. Okay, what about the VE process? How does that go from y'all's end? Um, it can go in several different directions. Sometimes um, we have a meeting after GMP goes out, everything gets priced, they come back, it's X amount over budget or whatever. And we'll look at it um, They'll have, you know, documents with all of the pricing so we can see what costs the most. Sometimes it can be frustrating because they just get a lump sum or they're only telling us a lump sum. So like the tile costs this amount. So let's cut this out. But really, we need to be um, more in depth than that, more detailed than that, because sometimes it's not worth it to just get rid of this one tile or to get rid of. Sometimes they'll say get rid of all of these and do something else. Um, so there's different ways that you can find savings. Sometimes it goes smoother than others. Sometimes we're down to the 11th hour again and they're saying, oh, we can't do this, pick something else. Or it'll get VE'd without even making us aware of it in the field, which can be really frustrating. Mm -hmm. So how would you prefer that process to go? What works best and easiest for the process as a whole to give the um, end user the, the product that they ultimately wanted? I think from the beginning, as we're making our initial selections, we always keep in mind budgetary numbers. Um, after you do so many projects, you have a number in mind of what should go here, what we can afford. If this is a big feature wall, you know, we can go a little bit higher. Or some clients, they don't ever want to spend money in the bathroom. So we know that we try to keep the cost low in the bathroom for whatever finishes there are there. Um, but I definitely prefer it after GMB, GMP comes back to be able to sit down in person with the client um, and to look through all of the numbers and see where we can save, what's worth it to save. Um, 
So what kind of detail do you need for that? You need uh, like square footage number for each of the different types of tiles in each of the different rooms instead of just a, um, uh, an overall total number for a tile for this entire space, but it's broken up into several different types. Yeah, it's definitely preferred to have the pricing for each individual tile, like what the square footage came back as and the pricing as well as the labor. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes some installations can be more labor intensive than others. And so even if it's just changing how a tile is installed, that can get you a savings. Um, but doing it in person, anything in person, I feel like the past three years we've moved a lot of things to virtual, which can be really helpful. Like some things can just be a call or can just be an email, but things like that, it's so much better to sit down and like be face to face with the client and say, we need to keep this or the, you're going to lose the design. Um, Cause I think that's the biggest struggle with the VE process is that they are just worried about closing the project or they're just worried about the bottom line. But We've had it happen before where they VE'd everything and then they walk the project after it's done or in the middle of the construction process and they're like, this is a white box, what happened? And we're like, well, you got rid of everything. We didn't look down and break down the numbers and see where we could find a savings or reselect things that could still keep the design intent. Um, And so to be as detail-oriented as possible, I think, Mm -hmm. from the beginning. Being able to a la carte yeah. pick and choose the different items within that space would Correct. be helpful yes okay good all right um what how many jobs are you currently working on and what is normal for you to work on currently oh, off the top of my head hold on And I'm sure they're all in different phases of the process, but. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say eight that are currently requiring attention from me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a couple that have either been put on hold or haven't really heard anything in a while because the owner is trying to close out the project or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had like 13 at one time, which can be a lot. I think when I first started, I was on more because I was working with someone else on the project. And most of the time we're working on a team. I do have a few projects where it's just me, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I think the norm is probably like eight or nine okay. at a time. That's yes. a lot. And mine actually, they are all in different, I wouldn't even say different phases. A lot of mine are in CA, which mm. is nice because they're wrapping up soon. Um, or in the FF&E phase, which again, FF&E and CA kind of overlap because as you're selecting furniture and going through all that coordination, the project is still being finished. Yeah. Um, Because a lot of times we're installing and construction's not even done yet, which (laughs) that's a can of worms that we can open. Um, But yeah, it's a lot. It's hard to keep track, especially most of my projects are with the same client and the same architect. Mm-hmm. So, um, y'all work a lot with MBA, mm-hmm. yeah, and TPA, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's the or majority, high point now. The majority of my projects, 
I think six or mm -hmm. five or six of however many I said are with them. Okay. And yeah. I've done more, like those are the ones that are current. Obviously we completed one together mm -hmm. with them. Um, I've completed two or three others with them, mm -hmm. including that one or not including that one. So yeah. Okay. How, how often do they give you a, um, oh, let me rephrase that. So WebGen, the amenity spaces started out as an allowance. So that was, we had to work through a lot of the uh, pricing from the rock and then some soils and then the structure and then the MEP systems. And so there was a couple of elements within the project that they held out as allowances to uh, kind of make the final call on once we had gotten through some of the um, lesser known um, bigger budget items that we wanted to make sure they were able to cover. How often does that happen where you really have a, um, a big budget constraint that you have to work within? Um, most of the time, usually, and interiors and finishes are always the first to get cut because mm -hmm. um, they can see that savings. And it's obviously not integral to the structure to have tile on a wall. Mm -hmm. um, I have a different opinion on that. It's not really an opinion, it's a fact, but to me, it is important. The finishes are important. Um, because that's what the end user is gonna see and what they're gonna experience. And especially with multifamily, you're trying to sell this property to someone who's gonna use it. And it's not just one person who's gonna use it, it's a whole mixture of people who are gonna use it. Um, and sometimes the client is just gonna turn around and sell it in a couple of years. And so they don't care as much as if they're gonna hold on to it. Usually if they're gonna hold on to it, they're willing to spend more um, and go over budget, which is usually what ends up happening. Um, but a lot of times they just say, oh, we're gonna turn around and flip this in a couple of years. So we really don't care. We're kind of just checking off a list of items for our investors and our investors only care about the bottom line. So it has to stay below this. We've done that a lot of times where we have a budget or they just wanna see budgetary numbers with our first GMP set. They'll just say, give us an allowance for tile which is really hard to design that way. Um, but yeah, there's always a more constructive budget than what we would prefer. Yeah. So since the process does take a long time from schematics to actual construction, especially now in the last couple of years, how much of an effect has the supply chain and inflation had on your uh, process? Um, so for a while, I feel like it's actually getting better, especially with furniture. The furniture lead times were like astronomical for a long time. Um, and we had to extend our FF&E process to like a year and now we're shortening it down to like seven or eight months. Um, but with finishes, we would have to say, you know, this is a 12 week lead time. It needs to be ordered ahead of time. Like we were even putting that in the drawings because it would happen a lot of times where we would say you need to reselect this because it's not available until this date 
-hmm. And that's something I think GCs and interiors need to coordinate better on from the beginning. A lot of times we don't really get introduced to each other, start working together until further down the line. And if we could all at the beginning have these conversations where it's like, a lot of these finishes, just check on them. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying everything you see ordered ahead of time, but once you get our drawings, look into it. When you're doing pricing even, check on the lead times. Um, but I think they're getting better a lot of times. And even I'll do it on my own. I'll just make sure, you know, this is stocked. I don't want to have to wait on something to ship from Italy because we've had it before where it got stuck in customs. We had a slab that got stuck in customs. Mm -hmm. Couldn't get it. It took so long. And then it kept getting, it was broken every time I showed up. Or stuck at the port or, or the Panama yes, Canal, yes, got backed up, yes, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Different tariffs. We've had to work around tariffs yeah. uh, out of like China yeah. and get stuff out of like uh, Vietnam or Malaysia. Yeah. So fortunately, especially being in the Southwest with carpet and tile, so much of it is stocked. Carpet, especially in Dalton, mm. or a lot of the tile we use um, is stocked in Tennessee. There's a lot of plants in Tennessee that make tile. Um, and so we've been fortunate in that, that we can select things that are stocked here. Every once in a while, of course, you have to order from overseas or they don't stock things here or whatever. But um, yeah, the lead times I think are getting better. The timelines, I know for a while lumber was a whole thing. Is that still? I mean, it's not as bad as it was. Yeah. Um, at its peak, it was, it was pretty bad. But yeah. It has come down. I don't know what the market looks like right now. I haven't checked on it in a long time because we haven't done, or I haven't worked in the lumber phase yeah. of the project since we got done over there at WebGen. But right. I know it's not back to where it was. I don't think it'll ever go back to where it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it seemed like it was the almost the industry leader at the time. Mm -hmm. If lumber was going up, every, you could expect everything else to be going up shortly mm -hmm. behind it. And the uh, the demand on the material was making the supply chain uh, very difficult to deal with. But it does seem like it's getting better, and uh, companies are starting to uh, catch back up with the demand, yeah. able to produce the material um, that they're uh, getting requests for. Um, but it'll start to balance out eventually. Uh, there's a lot of infrastructure that wasn't in place uh, to be able to handle the demands that we had during uh, the COVID process. Yeah. And uh, so I know that, that most everybody's been working on trying to fix those logistical issues and those infrastructure issues. And so it is getting better. It just wasn't ever going to really happen quickly. It was going to be a long process. And right. we're starting to realize that now, I think. Um, so hopefully it only gets better from here. Um, but what else can we do as the GC to coordinate with you? I mean, obviously, if we could get involved earlier in the process and work together on, like, even if you're providing FF&E, mm -hmm. you tell me this, this uh, FF&E, several pieces of it um, have a 12-month lead mm -hmm. time, and you need to know when to order that. Mm -hmm what's the drop dead date and uh, that's something that we can tell you looking at our schedule within a reasonable amount of time because right. things change throughout the process when you're talking about a one year lead time um, some of the stuff that we have to deal with like switch gear right now is running anywhere from 52 weeks and I even heard uh, I think it was like 
85 weeks on a project for getting a, a switch gear. Oh, wow. To be able to power the whole building. Yeah. I mean, that's insane to have to deal with, but that's the world we live in now. Right. So other than helping coordinate with that, what would you like to see from us to help the process, help you? Like you said, and like I said earlier, just getting involved earlier on um, and being able to coordinate everything. I think it's rare that we have a page turn with everyone on it, but I think they can be really helpful um, in person. Just everyone sit down and like look through the drawing set and really understand it. Um, a lot of times I experience just not fully reading the drawing set sometimes. What do you mean? So I'll get questions from guys in the field and they'll ask any kind of question. I don't know, but it's in the drawing set and they just either overlooked it. I don't know if they didn't read it at all. I'm not saying that, but it can be overlooked. So trying to figure out how we can avoid that process mm -hmm. um, and better understanding what it is you guys need in our drawing sets in the field. I always try to add more notes than fewer just to make it foolproof. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I know we can have a lot of notes or we'll have sheet notes. So it's like, you have to look somewhere else to figure out what it is. So sometimes I'll just put the note right on the page where I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so even if it's just like hearing from you guys from the beginning of the project, how we can, better serve you and how you can better serve us. Cause at the end of the day, we have a common goal. Mm -hmm. um, and then a lot of times the fabrication of things. Um, so like who you said about coordinating that, um, or if you need a recommendation, a lot of times our vendors, our sales reps can provide recommendations for fabricators or installers if it's something specialty. Um, so coordinating that, is better because we want it. It's obviously easier if we can get it done the first time correctly. I've had it happen before where I walked a job site and the wall covering was installed so poorly they had to rip it out and redo it because they just had some random wall covering installer when really it probably should have been someone like specialty mm -hmm. to do it. Um, and so that, I mean, that's cost that's adding up. So at the end cost of the day, it's cost and time and my time and your time and everyone's time and mm -hmm. the client's money. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Um, coordinating those things, again, it all goes back to from the beginning of the project, just having that relationship. Because we have the relationship, especially with the architect. I work with Niles Bolton all the time. So I have, and a lot of times it's the same people. Mm. So I have that relationship with them. But it's rare that you work with the same construction team. So just getting to know them getting to meet in person um, and putting a face to the name just makes them actually a human rather than a name on a screen or an email or whoever, a voice. Because mm -hmm. no one ever turns their camera on on Zoom call. I don't turn my camera on on Zoom call. No. It's like, and you guys aren't even always, it'll be like one guy, but the people who are actually on site, like I didn't meet you until we were on site walk, doing a box walk, mm -hmm. you know? But we were working together a lot. And when you're on site, it's great. Like you do build that relationship, but I didn't meet you until there's already a structure. Yeah. So meeting the team beforehand, beforehand 
um, even like meeting you guys, having you guys sit in on the design presentations just to be able to see our thought process so mm -hmm. that when you're in the field, you don't have to say, oh, just wait until it's done. Like you kind of know what you're doing without just like putting stuff wherever. Mm -hmm. That would actually help because there's plenty of times where we've talked with either the design team or the owner and we're walking through what their overall look is and we can give them input on realistic terms of constructing whatever it is that they're wanting. Well, you can't do this because of that. These are right. things that they don't always consider, but we experience on a daily basis that we need to make sure are considered. And so that can affect the design um, changes or decisions up front and so you can work with that um that information that you never would have had if yep. we hadn't have been involved and then uh what about a uh, like an after action report after the job's over review the things that happened and what we can do better next time yeah I to think that make would be sure great. we uh we review what actually happened the things yeah. is not just in question of what might happen mm -hmm. it, what do we actually experience and what can we learn from it right and make sure it doesn't happen again in the future yeah i think that's something that does need to be done between the design team and the construction team you could get nothing but value out of that right and honestly throw the architect and structural and mm -hmm. mechanical in there the yeah. whole like i honestly everyone like have a lessons learned after the project yeah almost like an exit interview we all can say what worked what didn't work and it's like oh I didn't think about that before but I'll remember that for next time mm -hmm. um, we do that internally I I know you guys do too where we'll do lessons learned but it's so much better to hear actually hear from you or hear from the architect or hear from whoever yeah because our we're the experts in putting the pieces together you're the expert on making sure it looks good telling you what to do yeah exactly <laughs> telling us what to do and if we can give you more input on how things go together it can help you uh, to decide whether or not you want to use this product or this scheme or or whatever it may be 100 percent. yeah because we draw i mean we draw sections and a lot of times i'm drawing a section i'm like i don't i don't know how this is supposed to be built like mm -hmm. i i'm giving these drawings to someone who I expect does know so I don't so sometimes it is helpful to be like to talk to you guys or talk to whoever and say to better understand it I want to know how things are made how it's built like what needs to go where um, especially with mechanical and stuff like where the closets need to go mm -hmm. before they come in and say oh yeah you need a mechanical closet there like I want to from the get-go say oh I know I need to have this here or, oh mm -hmm. I need to have this here or there's gonna be this running this way, so let me design around it. Or understanding the order of operations of how things need to go in. Yeah. Just for example, um, the uh, when you were thinking about like wall tile, mm -hmm. especially that large format wall mm -hmm. tile, and, uh, and then the flooring that goes in that area. Mm -hmm. So you can't do porcelain tile in that space and then do large format tile on the wall in that order you can't put the flooring in mm -hmm. and then go put the large format tile especially if it is like a 20 foot tall ceiling yeah um so you have to put in that wall tile first and then because you have to use a scissor lift to be mm -hmm. able to do it and then you have to back out and put the 
flooring in. So if there's a long lead time on that large format tile, that can affect your critical path right. because you can't put in the flooring in that area until you've got that wall tile there on site to be able to put in place before you put in the porcelain tile. There's other ways to work around it if you mm -hmm. have to, like dispersing the load mm -hmm. of a lift, being able to put foam and three quarter inch plywood mm -hmm. and drive over that. Mm -hmm. But some tile you're, isn't like, if it's larger, like two by four mm -hmm. tile, you run a, a higher risk of that cracking. Right. Or if it's terrazzo, yeah. you don't want to have to go through the uh, the process of having to pour a new terrazzo yeah. just because you need to get in there and, and use a lift on top of yeah. it. Um, and then like, if you're building a, um, a some millwork and you need to account for access panels, mm -hmm. uh, if you don't plan access panels and you think they're going to look bad, uh, you need to know that that has to be there so that you can access whatever it is. It may be a code reason, like right. electrical. You have to be able to still get in that space. That may change your mind on what you want to design, what element you want to be in that right. location. Or selecting something that's decorative, like mm -hmm. a return grill above a drinking fountain on a tiled wall. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Whether or not it looks good in that river rock. Yeah, that was uh, that was different. Yeah, that wasn't considered. Um, that, I think, is a coordination effort. A yeah. lot of that is a coordination effort. And once the final design of the space for the mechanical uh, aspect of it, and there needs to be another run through yeah. to make sure that their final design doesn't affect yours right uh overall and we can work through that kind of like what we ended up having to do um but it would be nice if you could take those considerations in if those are things that could be communicated to you at the beginning to consider and you may have changed the design on that yeah. accent wall had you known that up front right and unfortunately you know things always come up but at the end of the day it's like the client has the final say usually so we can fight as much as we want, but sometimes it's their way. Not sometimes, it's usually their way or the mm -hmm. highway. Like I can argue to an extent. And I usually, I am good about that. And probably sometimes I have a little bit too much pride where I have a hard time letting things go. Mm -hmm. But I always, I'm gonna fight for my design, but I know at the end of the day, it's what they have to say. But I have been able to like convince them otherwise sometimes, but that was one of the things I was like, needs to happen and they're like it's not going to sorry so yeah yeah we didn't have a choice with that one no <laughs> yeah i don't think anybody was gonna get around doing that uh, it, it made the entire space work part of that also came it stemmed from being able to um take that big return duct out of that hallway mm -hmm. so we had to put that mechanical room somewhere else yeah. to be able to feed that bathroom and so that kept that space more open and not lowering that ceiling, but it also caused that problem at the uh, accent wall. Yeah. But it was a, a smaller um, aspect of the overall design, so they were willing to give in on that. Yeah. What's the phrase, robbing Peter to pay Paul? Oh, yeah. We do that a lot. That's usually how it goes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's never an instance where you change something to solve an issue over here where it doesn't affect something over there yeah, it's always a domino effect yeah 
And you're just kind of picking your poison. Yep. And a lesser of two evils. Yep. What else can we do other than communicate and coordinate? That seems to be a theme with the different people I've talked to. I think that's just a the lot overall. Of it is that. Yeah. The overall coordination of everybody. Make mm-hmm. sure everyone. That's the biggest thing, I think, is that not everyone is on the same page at the same time. Like you and the architect can be on the same page mm-hmm. and then I have no idea what's going on or, you know, the client communicates with someone but doesn't communicate with the other person that it also affects. Mm-hmm. Um, or the owner and we are going through a VE process and they're not including you in the right. discussion right. when they make calls on what to delete and then that ends up affecting yeah. the design and you don't get your overall uh, vision yes realized exactly mm-hmm. um communicating with the reps so a lot of times um you know something's out of stock or something there's not enough of something usually the reps can figure something out that will work um but sometimes we just are told by the GC who's told by the subcontractor, oh, we can't get this, or oh, this is the cost of it. And I've found out so many times, where are you getting that number from? And it's like, oh, we just looked on their website. Like, you have to talk to the rep. The rep usually, like, we've talked to them before we even put them in our drawing. So they know, they have a, like, they have a relationship with us. They've also, like, been part of the conversation when we select finishes and stuff. Um, Would it be a good idea to put their contact info on the... Their contact, it always is. Oh, is it? Yeah. I never look at that part. (laughs) That's always the project engineer, project manager. So that's the other thing, too, is we'll get questions. And I'm like, well, did you reach out to the sales rep? And they're like, well, and I'm like, their name and number are always on the schedules Mm -hmm. um, for all finishes. We don't usually do it for like um, plumbing or anything like that. Like, that's not really necessary, but for any like, hard or soft finish, mm-hmm. we always lift, list the contact for the sales rep. Okay. What do you see across the industry? I know you don't work with just us. You don't work with just our team. If you were to work again with Juno, the chances of you working with the same team is almost zero. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you see across the industry? Is there an effort to do that communication and that collaboration 20% of the time, 80% of the time. What are you seeing? Um, I see it a lot. I feel like um, with younger GCs, I don't know if there's like a disconnect because I'm young. So a lot of times the older guys, they're anyone that's been in the industry a long time, usually they're set in their ways. Any mm-hmm. that's across. That's why most not just our are. field. That's just yeah. how people are. Yes. Um, but I feel like a lot of times on this on the job sites, I talk to the guys who are on site, who are around my age or a little bit older or whatever, and we can always communicate better and understand each other better than someone who's been in the field for 30 years and they're like, no, this is how it's going to be. This is the way it gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like we're all on the same page. It's just getting down and sitting and talking about it or having the client because it's the client who's the driver who 
is going to introduce us at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, repeat your question again, because I just lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> like, what kind of percentage do you see that effort being put in across the industry? Is it not much of the industry is putting in that effort? To I think, communicate and coordinate, or is it half, or is it more of it? What are you seeing across the industry? I want to say over half. Um, yeah, I want to say over half. Okay. There's definitely an effort there. Sometimes more so than not. Mm -hmm. um, some of it, and I don't want to say this and make it sound bad, but sometimes it's, I don't want to say a lack of respect, but it's like, Sometimes we get looked at as, oh, they're just the designers or we get called decorators and it's like we're not taken as seriously and they're mm. like, oh, whatever, they'll be fine. It's fine. They don't have much of a say in yeah. it. Yeah. And I'm like, I've been on site before and, you know, we're installing the furniture. So we're like fluffing pillows, which we do. We do part of that, but we also do construction documents and we draw things and we know the codes and we know a lot. And I've had guys on site say, Oh, the decorators are just going to make this pretty. And I'm like, that's not the only thing I do. I do mm -hmm. make it pretty. So sometimes it's just like we're overlooked almost. And so the effort's not there because they're just like, whatever, it'll be fine. But a lot of times I'm seeing now more and more mm -hmm. there is that respect um, and the care for the design overall. Cause it's not just the design being pretty, like we have to serve an end user. We have to serve a client. Okay. So there was a couple of times that, well, let me rephrase that. The first time we met, you came out to do a box walk, mm -hmm. uh, a pre cover up box walk, just to make sure everything was in the right space and we weren't missing anything. It's a good thing. We do that. Um, that's a good quality control thing that needs to happen uh, more often than not. We have our own process, but uh, having you there because you can see the entire space and how it's going to be used. We added and subtracted some things that mm -hmm. were in the design because you were able to be in that space and see that, okay, that might not be necessary or we need to add in, I think, uh, we added in a couple of uh, Ethernet ports or something like yeah. that and some offices that weren't in there. Um, small stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Or if we miss that, um, the design didn't show the um, electrical outlet needing to be above a uh, cabinet and it's at normal height. Right. Uh, you notice that and recognize that it needed to be raised up. Um, and then you weren't able to come back out um, for the overhead because we had a drop ceiling mm -hmm. in part of that area. And so at that time, we had to still put in a, a fire rated ceiling. And so that uh, lower ceiling wasn't framed up and there was nothing roughed in. And we got on a FaceTime call and walked you around it. How helpful was that? Or would you have rather been there in person? So with that, I always would rather be in person. The FaceTime call was great though. And I've been implementing that a lot of my jobs. I always tell my GCs like, please, I would rather you FaceTime me or call me rather than email or after the fact, oh, we just went ahead and did this. Um, the problem is in our contract, we only have so many site visits 
And so that can be limiting. And if we go over, we have to send an ASN to the client. So it's like the client probably doesn't want us to go out there just to do that mm-hmm. one thing, you know? Um, and so I think because of that, having the FaceTime call where I can see something like that, it's not super detail oriented. You can walk around and show me everything. I think it's super helpful. And I think it, it's a great way to get around the site visit constraints mm-hmm. within our contract. Um, Especially for that job, that's a an almost forty five minutes. Yeah, it's out there. Hour drive from your <laughs> office, yeah. so you having to spend that time to go out there and walk that space for like twenty minutes, right? Maybe exactly. And that was you were able to do that in just twenty minutes and right. not have to leave. Yep. Yeah, it's super helpful. Like I've had, I might have opened a can of worms on another job where I had the guy calling me like five times a day, but I'd rather that and have it right Mm -hmm. than not. But I would like still be in bed in the morning and I'm getting a FaceTime call from my GC. I'm like, let me turn my camera off. (laughs) (laughs) Cause y'all get on site like seven o'clock in the morning or early. I don't know what time early, early. I'm not up or I'm just waking up, Mm -hmm. but I usually don't start working until like eight, eight 39 some days. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was funny. He, but I'm like, you know what? I'd rather him call me and ask the question, even if it's just one little question. But he wanted to make sure it was right, and I really appreciated that because sometimes it doesn't happen that way, and then you walk after the fact, and then it's added work, or they have to go back and change something. And I know you guys don't want to do that. I don't want to mm-hmm. tell. I hate telling you guys that you have to go back and redo something. Why? I feel bad. It's not fun. <laughs> But I want it to be done right, so I will tell you to do it. But it's not. I always feel bad. I'm like, don't hate me, but got to redo this. Or this isn't right. It has to be this or whatever. Um, yeah, we love getting told that. I know. I know. Everybody loves being told that they're wrong. But Or they didn't check something. Mm. I mean, I know I'm wrong a lot of times, so I'll, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be told and be able to fix it mm. and then go forward than just keep living my life doing something wrong. Doesn't mean we're not going to say, are you sure you just can't live with this? I know. There's always a little, I do enjoy that on site. Like, I feel like we always have a little bit of a banter between mm-hmm. you guys and me, but it usually, that usually comes from a place of respect. Mm-hmm. And Well, creating that relationship is yeah. important to making sure that the project goes well. Exactly. If you ruin that relationship up front, then it's going to be nothing but arguments and yeah. resentment throughout. Yeah. Yes. And it will reflect in the design and uh-huh. the finished product. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I don't have any more questions, but I appreciate you coming out here and talking to me. Thanks for having me. Yeah.